Over the Wall podcast coming at you. LSU Bama this weekend. Not hyped. LSU is a 30-point dog. They will get destroyed. Take Bama at the points. We'll talk about the game a little bit. We'll talk LSU big picture, the program in disarray. We'll talk about the AM game. The defense played better, but I'll tell you why. Don't get excited. I think that was part AM <laughs> helping that, that LSU defense out a little bit. We'll talk some Saints. Saints come off a victory against Denver in a weird game. A practice squad receiver at quarterback. So we'll talk about that a little bit. We'll talk about this big matchup with Atlanta this week. I think this is a huge matchup. I'll also tell you a comparison I see. A team that I look at from the past, a Super Bowl champion team that reminds me of the Saints this year. So we'll hit on that. We'll, we'll, we'll touch on some college football. The top four came out. We'll touch on that and, and, and some bigger, broader topics with college football. One topic that I really like and it's exciting to me. Then we'll do our NFL top 10 and we'll talk some Joe Burrow. So it should be fun and let's get it. LSU Alabama this weekend, not as hyped as it usually is. We'll get into that game shortly. Let's touch on the LSU Texas A&M game from the previous weekend. Kind of went as I expected and then would win and pretty much handled the Tigers throughout the game. And they did. The score might tell you something different. It was 20 to 7. LSU scored a late touchdown, made it somewhat interesting if you look at it from a big picture. And then the defense played better. Look, I'm going to give that credit, actually, to Texas A&M's offense. Texas A&M's offense was absolutely terrible. In particular, their quarterback, Kellen Mond, who was god-awful. And, and he's been there four years, and he has, to me, pro- progressively gotten worse. He's not a very good quarterback. And that kind of reflects on Jimbo Fisher, who's supposed to be this quarterback whisperer. And the guy is not very good. So I would give that credit to the Texas A&M offense. Look, the defense played better, sure, and they didn't give up tons of big plays. So, yeah, yeah, feather in their cap, whatever. Offense has huge issues, and that is the offensive line is absolutely abysmal. They cannot block anybody. And with young quarterbacks, what's the best thing for a young quarterback is a running game. They can't run the football because the offensive line is terrible. So, you know, obviously they're not going to look, you know, very good. T.J. Finley, Max Johnson, it doesn't matter who you roll out there. You could roll out Miles Brennan if he's even healthy. And it's not going to matter because nobody can block for him. They were under duress the whole game. And so, you know, moving forward, there's really no solution to that except just kind of rebuild the whole offensive line next year. And which kind of leads to my point where LSU program-wise is in complete disarray because of bad coaching hires. Now you have players opting out. Terrace Marshall opts out, which I completely don't blame him at all. When you see this sinking ship, you only have two, maybe three games left. And he's really shown out this year and proved that he is a first-round pick, most likely. What is there left to prove? You know, I don't blame him at all. Get ready for the draft. Don't get hurt, which is my biggest thing. It's just preventing injuries from playing any further games, which you're going to lose by 40 points to Alabama and probably lose the rest of the games of the season. So I don't blame him one bit, and you could very well see more players doing it. The program's in disarray right now. There's clearly something going on with the coaching staff and the players, whether it dates back to last summer and some of the issues that's happened with the social issues going on. I don't know what it is. Um, Bo Pelini was one of the worst hires we've seen in a long time. Will they cut bait? If they don't, it's going to hurt them moving forward. They have to cut bait with him. You know, word is that he's the first coach out. 
the door after practice and he's the first one in or first or last one in the facility is what I've heard. And, you know, I don't, I don't get how that's even possible when you're paying a coach that much money, you know, and he's just been absolutely terrible. You have to cut bait there. And also offensively moving forward, you hire Scott Linehan, who's an old timer NFL guy when you just had Joe Brady, young and innovative, we talked about it. I thought that was a bad coaching hire. You know, in the offseason, they made a move. Um, Russ Calloway was a younger coach who, you know, Coach O liked a lot. You know, along the Joe Brady lines, you'll probably never get a Joe Brady because I think he's just absolutely big time. But he was one of those guys that was young, innovative. Could he be a guy who kind of elevates in the offseason, maybe takes over the offensive coordinator job? Like I've talked about before, Steve Ensminger isn't somebody who was desperate to be an offensive coordinator. He did it because, you know, Coach O really liked him and, and Coach O needed him, so to speak. And so that's why he took that OC job. Could he just retire in the offseason? I think Coach O needs to make big moves this offseason. Why? LSU is a successful football program. And you're going to see this common trend with successful football programs. You know, look at Alabama. Look at any, any program you see, especially in the South where people love college football, the fan, base, the fan base is desperate to win at all costs, and rightfully so. This is a no-nonsense business. It's win or go home. And I get it. Coach O is a phenomenal story. He's a Louisiana-born guy. He talks the language. You know, He's almost a mascot for the program, so to speak. But after this horrendous season, which I don't think they're going to win another game, and they're going to get embarrassed if they play the rest. I mean, they're going to get embarrassed this weekend against Alabama. They're going to get embarrassed against Florida. And Ole Miss, they're going to lose that game, and they're going to put up 50 points on LSU. Can LSU put up points right now, you know, even against a bad Ole Miss defense with, with their horrendous offensive line? You've lost that cachet with the fan base. You know, even in a year like this, had you gone – I would even say six and four, seven and three fan base would still believe in you, you know, that being coach O, but now you've lost that credibility. Now people are questioning. They're scratching your head. Next year is critical for coach O. If he has another year like this year, I'm sorry. Like the fan base will not tolerate it. LSU as a fan base, as a program wants to win period. And they should, like I've said before, recruiting base, you know, um, backing, you know, financial support, infrastructure, that matters. LSU has that all because recruiting base-wise, per capita, Louisiana is loaded with D1 prospects, and you're the only big-time program in that state. Those recruits come to you. And so this program is ready to win, period. Now, I get it. You lost a lot of guys. You lost coaches. You lost players. But still, next year is make or break for this program and this coaching staff, especially this coach, Coach O. If he, like I said, if he has another bad year, it's going to get ugly and bad news. They're going to want him out. And he will have lost all that credit in the world. And that's a credit to LSU's fan base because I like that from a fan base. I think whenever you start treating the coach like a mascot, so to speak, like a Joe Paterno and a Bobby Bowden, did you see what happened with, you know, those two programs? I mean, they kept Joe Paterno on like 10 years too long. And same thing with Bobby Bowden. Those programs kind of started going in the tank. I mean, they became real. They were really good programs. And they were six, seven win programs a year. They were just, you know, they were underachieving because they were treating these coaches like mascots, like 
that they were the program. And I like that LSU doesn't care. They did it with Les Miles. Les Miles, many people wanted him to be a mascot for the program, the Mad Hatter. And, you know, LSU fans were not having it. They wanted more. And that's a credit to LSU fans moving forward. Let's talk about this Alabama game. This is just unprecedented. LSU is like a 30-point underdog to Alabama, and rightfully so. I mean, the wheels have completely fallen off, I mean, for LSU. The only guy with significant playing time from last year's team left is like Jacoby Stevens, and he's really not having a great year. So, well, Derek Stingley as well. I mean, let me, you know, check myself on that one. LSU's going to get the doors blown off, all right? The wheels are coming off. There's going to be hardly any fans in the stands. Everything this year has been a disaster. I don't expect LSU to go out there and have some phenomenal performance against, you know, Alabama. And there's really not much to talk about with this game. LSU's going to get dominated, uh, you know, on the offensive side of the football because their line's terrible. And, you know, although people are going to try to tell you that this defense has been getting better throughout the past two weeks, this defense isn't better. And they're going to get torched. They're going to easily put up 40, 50 points on, on LSU. And maybe they'll call the dogs off late. And it kind of hits my, my bigger point. And this is my bigger point with, with this LSU-Alabama game. Is last year fooled us as LSU fans. And it fooled us because LSU, every, the stars aligned for LSU. And let me put it to you like this. LSU had a once-in-a-lifetime football player in Joe Burrow, you know, win the Heisman Trophy and arguably be the best college football player in the, in the history of the sport. That happened. And then you had Joe Brady come in, who I believe is the next Lincoln Riley. You, I wouldn't say lucked out, but you hit an absolute home run out of the park with Joe Brady. I would kind of say that's lucky that you got you, you, you were able to land a guy like that, right? And then you just had a, a veteran-led team that was immensely talented. Now, they obviously went to the NFL. The stars aligned for you. Look at what Dave Aranda's doing at Baylor. Baylor, you know, good team, right? He's doing pretty good. I think the Baylor program is treading in the right direction. He's a really good coach. So you had arguably the top defensive coordinator in the country. Everything was there for you. The stars aligned. And, yes, you beat Alabama in Tuscaloosa. And everything worked out for you. I mean, it was a really tight game. It was a great victory for LSU. And it made us believe something that, that's just not real. And it made us believe, and it made me believe, that LSU was there. LSU was on Bama's level, and, and they were ready to pounce and take that mantle. They're not. If you look back, you know, let's, let's look at the, when Nick Saban got there. You know, LSU had won the first couple years. But then, you know, the tide turned, I believe, oh, nine, oh it's 08, 09. Uh, Bama wins. Bama wins the championship in 09. In 10 and 11 in the regular season, LSU wins back-to-back. But then it changed the national championship. LSU gets completely embarrassed. And then, you know, after that, LSU, you know, couldn't win any games. Now, in 12 and in um, 14, they were close. But after that, because a lot of people want you to believe, especially LSU fans, we have this complexity around the Alabama football program. We want to believe that, you know, it's a it's a huge rivalry and we're right there. Since that 14 game, which LSU lost in overtime, LSU got their doors boxed in by Alabama. In 15, LSU went to Tuscaloosa. 
and was undefeated and ready to roll, and they got embarrassed. In 16, at home, Coach O's interim year, you know, they lose 10-0, didn't even come close to scoring a point. 17, not close in Tuscaloosa. 18, got shut out 29-0. Okay, sure. Last year you won. Like I said, you had a once-in-a-generation you know, talent at quarterback, coaching staff that was phenomenal, and players. It all fell. And after that game, it, it's it's so predictable, and I've seen things of this nature from, like, the high school level, even when I coached high school baseball, or just any, any lower-level team, right, who does this is that LSU completely lost their minds. I mean, they Coach O got them on, on midfield and was saying that, you know, we own this place. Um, the, the players went to the recruiting section at Alabama and said, come to LSU in the locker room, you know, which should not have been recorded. You know, Coach O saying, you know, F you to Alabama or whatever he said. It's so predictable of, of a team, of a lesser team that has a complexity, you know, mindset over another program, and I've seen it before. Think about, like, these lower-level programs who, you know, they upset, you know, this big team, right? They, they they tear the field goal post down, they're at home, and, you know, they don't, they don't beat them for 10 years. But what happens if that other team who, you know, beats them for 10 years, they don't go tear the goal post down, they just beat the shit out of them because they're just used to it, right? I've seen this in the high school level. You know, when I coach high school baseball, you know, there was this one – program who was amazing and you know we beat them we were on the dogs we beat them and we completely lost our minds and I think they beat us ever you know every year ever since that and it's so predictable like I, LSU is that program where they completely lost their minds and you know it was almost a feather in Alabama's cap the way they they just you know completely were you know going ape shit after that win and when it, Alabama if Alabama would have won that game, it would have been just business as usual. And it goes to show you LSU is not even remotely in the same category as Alabama. They're just not. And that win last year proves it to you. When Alabama is going to beat them by 50 this weekend is going to prove it to you. My big takeaway is next year is make or break for, for Coach O. And you might think that's, you know, hyperbole and, you know, that's just a little out of control of a statement. It's not. If he has another bad year, he could very well be gone. Because LSU fans, and I'm hoping, I'm hoping I'm right, LSU fans won't tolerate it. I won't tolerate it. I'm already tired of this season. First off, the season's a joke anyways because of the COVID situation, no fans, all this stuff. But I don't want to see LSU be a, a laughing stock and basically be embarrassed to be an LSU fan. You shouldn't drop off from the greatest team in college football history to this nonsense of what you're watching right now. Big takeaway, next year, make or break for Coach O. Saints roll out another win on Sunday. One of the weirdest games I've seen in NFL history because uh, the quarterback situation in Denver, all guys couldn't play, and they had to, to bring up this uh, practice squad guy who had been quarterback at Wake Forest for a brief period of time, and he was terrible. And it's not really his fault. I mean, had he had a week or two of preparation, maybe it would have looked better for him. But this goes to show people – that it's not just easy to play quarterback in the NFL. And quarterback isn't a plug-and-play, you know, position where, like, if, if I asked you to play cornerback, you just go do that. Quarterback, you have to know the playbook and, and just the timing and the rhythm of everything and all the pressures on you. The guy didn't have a chance. So 
the Saints won. They won easily. And uh, the biggest takeaway I have from the game is Taysom Hill. And my biggest takeaway from Taysom Hill is that I don't have a takeaway from Taysom Hill. Why? Because Sean Payton, just like everybody else in the country, knew that all you have to do is not make a mistake and you're going to win the game easily. So the game plan was just very safe. Don't make mistakes. And the Saints won easily, 31-3, to and, and completely destroyed them. Like I said, don't take anything away from that outing from Taysom Hill. I still don't believe he's this franchise quarterback. I don't. But that being said, Sunday's game should not be evidence of that. The Saints could have rolled out anybody and won that game. It was All it was was be safe, don't make a mistake, and we're going to win and get the hell out of here. And that's what it was. Now, this weekend will be the test. Last weekend was completely not. This weekend is. You have Atlanta in Atlanta, all right? Now, I keep saying in Atlanta, right, like an away game. It doesn't matter where they play. The fans aren't going to be a factor. But Atlanta, you know, they're a pretty good football team. I know they had a bad start, but there were some games they should have won. This is a good team. Now, the Saints beat them, and, and beat them pretty soundly last time. Taysom Hill's first start, the defense was phenomenal. Now, that's going to be a big key to the game. Can they continue to dominate that Atlanta offensive line like they did that first time? So that's something to watch because they, they completely dominated. I think they sacked Matt Ryan eight times. That's going to be the big factor in the game. So the thing I worry about the most is seeing Taysom Hill second time around. They've seen him second time around. They're coming off a big victory. Will they be able to contain Taysom Hill or just do something to rattle this Saints offense? I, I believe they will. I believe that Taysom Hill won't have – you know, a tremendous amount of success, and they're going to have to pivot and do something different. This is going to be a very tight football game, in my opinion. Atlanta's a good football team, like I said. The key to the game is can the Saints continue to dominate that Atlanta offensive line? If they do, I really like the Saints to win this game. Because, like I said, last time they dominated that offensive line. Eight sacks were all over the place. The defense is, like, red hot right now. One of the best defenses in the league, if not the best. I love the defense. So, Taysom Hill. And Sean Payton, can they pivot? Can they throw maybe a a wrinkle at Atlanta that they didn't see that first time? That's going to be the key. Because, like I said, I don't, I I do not believe Taysom Hill is the future, but I like him in this stretch. And I've said this because throw the kitchen sink these next, you know, when whenever he took the field against Atlanta that first time, these next four to five games until Drew gets back, throw the kitchen sink, do all kinds of crazy shit. And just win these games. Reckless abandon. Now, the only problem was Atlanta was the team you're going to play twice. And especially in this quirky situation where in three weeks you're going to play them twice. So this is the true test. And I know as a Saints fan or as a normal NFL fan, you're looking at the records and you say, no, it's not going to be a a really good game. The Falcons are going to make the playoffs. This is a huge monumental game for this Saints football team. Huge game. So that's what I'm looking at. Can Taysom Hill, you know, not necessarily rebound off this game because, like I said, they played safe conservative, but can they come up with a game plan for him to have success? Because I know Atlanta will have a game plan against Taysom Hill after that first time they've seen him. Big one. Final takeaway with the Saints is I've kind of had a comparison with the Saints or or an epiphany, so to speak, of who they are and where this kind of season reminds me of. That could be dead wrong because the past couple years, I believe the Saints will win the Super Bowl. And I think the Saints are one of the best teams in football. I really, really do. 
This Saints team reminds me of the 2015 Denver Broncos who beat the Carolina Panthers in the Super Bowl. And let me explain. What do they have in common? Peyton Manning's last year. Peyton Manning, Hall of Fame quarterback, legend. Drew Brees, Hall of Fame quarterback, legend, last year. Obviously, you're seeing their game deteriorate a little bit. I think at this point, Drew Brees is a lot better than Peyton Manning was. But you could see those lines, right? You could draw that up. Defensively is where I see it. The Saints defense right now is hitting, right? They are really, really good. One of the top in the game. Same thing with the Denver Broncos in 2015. They had a great pass rush. The Saints have a great pass rush. Cam Jordan. And then Trey Hendrickson actually has nine and a half sacks on the year. I mean, he's having a really good year. And so you have Marcus Davenport. So that deep, Demario Davis is a stud. Marshawn Lattimore, Janaris Jenkins, Marcus Williams. You know, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson is really becoming a star on this defense. This defense is really, really good. Quan Alexander is starting to show up after that trade. And so I see parallels right there. Could the Denver defense in 2015 be better? Possibly. But this Saints defense is really good. So you're seeing those parallels, right? Aging quarterback, defense, and then a big parallel I see, and this is because I, I, I look at the NFL uh, sometimes as a television show. I look at storylines. What happened in 2015? Who did they beat? They beat the Carolina Panthers. Carolina Panthers were, you know, scorching hot. Everybody loved the Carolina Panthers. They had a flashy quarterback in Cam Newton. And in the Super Bowl, Carolina looked like it, you know, got full of themselves, and Denver won that game. Denver was underdog. They won that game. You could see that possibly happening in February with who? Kansas City Chiefs, red hot team, sexy quarterback in Mahomes. You could tell the Kansas City Chiefs are a team that probably feels themselves a little bit, right? They show up flat. They don't finish games, but they're just so damn good and so damn talented that they can beat you. I could see those parallels in, you know, that situation happening for the Saints. So optimistically, that that's my big takeaway moving forward with the Saints would be I see the Saints as the 2015 Denver Broncos, Drew Brees, Peyton Manning, both aging quarterbacks, even though I think Drew is probably better at this point. I also think the offense is probably better at this point. Alvin Kamara, stud, Michael Thomas, stud, Jared Cook, Emmanuel Sanders emerging, Latavius Murray, sneaky, pretty good. And you have a Swiss Army knife in Taysom Hill who, you know, gives you a different dynamic for the offense. Also the defense. Yeah, I could say Denver might be a little better, but Saints are pretty damn good as well. I see those parallels, and hopefully that holds true. Let's touch on some college football. We've already touched on LSU, but we're going to touch on the bigger landscape of college football. Um, this week, the top four came out, and there's some arguments I'm going to make about you know some of the arguments that some of the people in the media are making. And I see this often. And what happens is people that love college football, they're, they're too they're, they're too close to the forest to see the trees, to see the big picture, right? They're just such in the fire that they, they see these little small storylines and they want to run home with them. This, this football season, I've said it before, is just a shit show. I mean, everything I love about college football just isn't there. Pageantry, fans, all that, it's not there. I mean, games are getting canceled left and right. You don't know if they're going to play the games. And then, you know, it, it's, it's just a crap show. Some conferences are playing seven games. Some conferences are playing six. Some conferences are playing ten. It's it's ridiculous, right? But you got to do what you got to do. I get it. But I'm not as glued as I normally am. But here's some of the arguments that have completely worn me out. And I think I've said it before, the Ohio State argument that, well, 
should they make the playoff because they're only going to play five or six games. You know, that's not fair. I don't care because it's not fair for anybody. Everybody's on the same playing field, so to speak. This season's a fucking joke. You know, you got, like I said, you got teams playing 10 games, six games. It's not Ohio State's fault that their conference waited and they could only play six games. It's not their fault that a pandemic's happening. I want to see the best teams. I don't want to see, um, you know, BYU in the college football playoff just because they played more games than Ohio State. I mean, come on, get serious. Ohio State is one of the best four teams in the country. And I don't care if they only play one more game in the season. They are the best. Stop being a nerd about it. Stop being a geek. All right. Just because you want fair play, yada, yada, yada. They're one of the best teams in the country. And I don't care if they play only one more game and they go six and oh, they're one of the best. Just just use your eyes. Watch the games. They're the best. They got one of the best quarterbacks in the country. And look at their track record. They are damn good. Also, just understand this. I don't care what you say about, you know, fair play and all this. It's a television show. Do you honestly think and I know I know they don't talk about this most likely in the college football playoff meetings. Do you honestly think they want like Coastal Carolina, BYU in the playoff? No, they want Ohio State. It's been proven that Ohio State's probably the biggest ratings driver of all these teams. Probably out, probably besides Notre Dame, I'd say they're probably number one. Number two is Ohio State. Think about it. Teams in the South don't drive the ratings because it's really regional. But if you have Ohio State, Ohio State's a national brand. People in the South are going to watch no matter what anyways. It doesn't matter who plays, and you're going to get a different market. It's a television show. They want television ratings. They don't want Coastal Carolina. They don't want BYU in the playoff because you know what's going to happen? BYU is going to go play Alabama and lose by 50. They'll be down by 30 at halftime, and nobody's going to be watching, and it's going to be boring. You don't want to see that, right? Which brings me to my next point with BYU. You know, I, I keep hearing this every single year people do this crap. Where it's either Boise State, TCU, you know, Cincinnati, you name it. Um, why aren't they in the top four? It's not fair. College football is not fair. It's not the it's not a professional league where it's thirty teams, everything's balanced, schedules. Um, you have a draft. You know, everything is. You know, the the talent is real, real close. It's not. It's an inequity, right? The sport is not equal. It's inequality. So I don't want to hear that BYU or Cincinnati should, or Coastal Carolina should be in the top four. They shouldn't because teams that aren't even you know close to the top four would probably beat the shit out of them. And I don't – you know, then I have to hear, well, they, they can't control their schedule. I don't give a shit. That's their problem, not mine. It, so what? All these excuses for these teams are, are almost like laughable. They really are. And so the BYU argument is just a joke because I want to see a really good football game. I don't want to watch crap. I don't want to watch, you know, Clemson play BYU and win by 60. What do I want to watch that for? You know, and then some people are going to throw out, well, you know, one time Boise State beat Oklahoma, you know, 15 years ago. Yeah, one time. (laughs) That's why it's so special because it happened one time. I want to see good quality football teams, which brings me like Ohio State's really damn good. I do not care if they played six games. It's not their fault that a pandemic happened and their conference, you know, got scared early on and they could only play eight games with no wiggle room and buy dates. It's not their fault. (laughs) I want to see them in the playoff, period, point blank. I don't want to see crap in the playoff just because you want fair play. And it's not fair that Ohio State only played five, five or six games and, well, you know, uh, Georgia played nine or 10. I don't care. Like they're better than Georgia. So who cares? You know, finally, 
this is something I've been talking about. And, you know, I, I read an article with this, they have a, I think it's called the Knight Commission or Knight Committee, where it's a committee of athletic directors and, and you know, personnel in some of these big universities that all agreed that college football, especially the Power Five conferences, should break away from the NCAA and kind of consolidate and be their own separate entity. And I've been saying that for years, and they should. And I do believe it's going to happen. And I think with the COVID situation this year and the loss of revenue, I think it could happen. And maybe it could happen quicker than we think, which would be phenomenal for the sport. Because I've been watching college football since I was about you know, seven, eight years old. So it's been a while. And I feel like the sport year in and year out is deteriorating. Why? I think there's just so much inequity in the sport, like I just talked about. It's not an equal sport. And I get it. Sports aren't supposed to be equal. But it's become such disparity between like Alabama, Clemson, and like everybody else that it's it's not fun to watch. You almost on a Saturday have to really deep dive to find a game that's competitive or, or watchable. And it's not good for the sport. I think you need to consolidate, like this commission said, and get the top 40 to 50 teams. I don't, I don't need 100 teams. Get the top 40 to 50 teams, hell, even the top 30 to 40, that really want to win, that are all in financially, you know, structurally, and roll with it. And that's what I want to see, because I think that'll bring equity to the sport. I think that way, which we've seen this year, which I think will be an epidemic moving forward. Now, I don't blame these guys at all. Well, we see the, the situation at LSU with Terrace Marshall, where he opts out. And we've seen this throughout college football. It started, you know, and I'm sure, and this was probably before my time, where, where, you know, you had to stay four years in college football, right? But then it became, you could leave it their junior year, and that became an epidemic. And then, you know, the bowl game thing, where, where guys would sit out bowl games, right? And so that became an epidemic. And now it's, well, I'm just going to opt out. Like, if you're a big-time guy in your junior season, you're going to opt out and go to the draft. So that's a new thing. It's going to happen. It's just the reality. And I don't blame a lot of these guys. I really, really don't. And so that's the thing. So I say that to say this. If you look at that issue, well, if we can, you know, privatize the sport and it's not part of the NCAA anymore, but then you could create your own rules for these 40 teams, so to speak. And then you could pay the players and they could have more incentives to stay rather than go to the NFL and, you know, Maybe it doesn't work out for them while you're at, you know, LSU. You can get paid a certain amount. You can, you know, benefit off of name, image, and likeness. And so there could be things that can work out for you by keeping players at your school and obviously bettering the sport. I really, really like this idea. And I'm glad that they put it out. And I read this on on ESPN, um, on ESPN's website. So it's credible. And so this is something that excites me moving forward with the sport because I think it could only help the sport. to finish off with our NFL top 10. Before we do that, let's do our little Joe Burrow weekly segment. It'll be a very small segment, but obviously I've talked about it. Burrow's injury is devastating. It really is. But I had an epiphany with Burrow. And this is something like, I don't believe he will be Tom Brady and win multiple Super Bowls. Tom Brady had things that worked for him. Great organization. Greatest coach ever. Burrow won't win multiple Super Bowls. Maybe he wins one. He'll have some success, but he's going to have to overcome a, a crappy organization. But I do believe Burrow bounces back. And I do believe he bounces back with authority and becomes one of the top quarterbacks in the league for years to come. And here's why. We've seen this, and, and I've seen this kind of like with Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield, 
was a guy who was an underdog his whole life. And he, and he, he thrived off of that, right? Texas Tech, he's a walk-on, has to leave because they, he won't get any playing time. You know, he's the underdog. Goes to Oklahoma, walks on. He's the underdog. Wins the Heisman Trophy. He's not the underdog anymore. First overall pick, not the underdog anymore. And you see what happens. Now, I don't know if that's why his play has been so poor. I don't think he's that talented. But you, you see that trend. Joe Burrow is along those same lines. Joe Burrow, you know, was a three-star recruit, goes to Ohio State, but doesn't play. Gets beat out by Dwayne Haskins. Has to transfer. People doubt him. He wins the Heisman Trophy. First overall pick. He's now a celebrity star quarterback. He's having a you know, really good rookie season. People are loving him. Now he has to bounce back from this injury. Now people love Justin Herbert. He's going to win rookie of the year. That was Burrow's award. He now has to come back from this devastating injury which people are going to doubt him. This is perfect for a guy like this. Give him some type of doubt, something to motivate him. He's going to come back stronger. Now, when does he come back? That's the big question. This is a terrible injury. Could he come back, you know, starting next year? I've heard, you know, he possibly could. You know, I, I'm not a doctor, so I couldn't honestly tell you that situation. But this is big for him to be the underdog again, for people to doubt you again. This is huge for his career moving forward. Ultimate takeaway, he won't win multiple Super Bowls. His, you know, organization is crap. I think his coach is average, and I don't think they're going to get rid of him. But he's the underdog again to a certain extent, and I love it, and I love it for him, and I think he bounces back with authority. Let's go with our top 10. I'm going to start from number 10. Number 10 always for me is pretty hard, but I'm going to go with a team who's most talented and I believe has the most upside, even though they've been showing out pretty poorly lately, and that is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They have a really good roster. They have Tom Brady, who I love. Love his leadership. Don't love the coach. I think the coach is bad. And I think it's a bad pairing, you know, Brady and Arians. I really, really do. And I think they're butting heads. Personally, I think Arians could very well be gone after this year because I think it's 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 not working out. It's, it's working out that poorly, to say. But I love their roster. They have really a lot of playmakers on defense and playmakers on offense. And I think they have the most upside. So Tampa at 10. And number nine, L.A. Rams. Now, the Rams just came off a loss to San Francisco. The Rams are hard to predict, but I like their coaching staff. Um, their quarterback, it, it's so up and down with him. But I just, like I said, I really rely on coaching staffs. So I think McVay's a really, really good coach. And I think their defense has improved. They probably have the best two defensive players in the NFL in, in Jalen Ramsey and Aaron Donald. So I like them at nine. At number eight, Indianapolis Colts. Offensive line, great. Defensive front, really good. Defense, really good. Quarterback, not very good, and that's their downfall. Now, they just came off a loss to, to the Tennessee Titans, which I'll talk about in a little bit. Tough loss, but but I still like them as a team. I think Frank Reich's a really good coach. And like I said, their offensive line, defensive line, very strong, and I think that'll help them moving forward. At number seven, Buffalo Bills, just solid. Very solid team. Um, not too much flux of up and down, up and down, just really good, good coaching staff. Josh Allen, you have your question marks, but he's talented. He'll be able to make some plays for you. So I have Buffalo at seven. At six, Green Bay. There is some issues with Green Bay. I don't think they're physical. I don't think they run the ball particularly well. I don't think they stop the run particularly well. I think they play Tennessee in a couple weeks, and Tennessee will probably get them in, in, in that regard with Derrick Henry. But they still have Aaron Rodgers, and he's playing at a high level. And so with that, I'll have them at number six just because of Aaron Rodgers and his play right now. At number five, Seattle Seahawks. Seattle Seahawks are emerging. When you look at Jamal Adams healthy, Carlos Dunlap, 
you know, back from injury. The defense is getting better. And you got Russell Wilson. You got Pete Carroll. Now, I don't love them. I think their defense is still not very good. They're not like on the Saints level. But they are getting better because you can't get any worse. Their defense was absolutely terrible. So since their defense is getting better and I still get Russell Wilson, DK Metcalf now one of the best receivers in the game, I like them at five. At number four, many people might not think this, but I got the Tennessee Titans at four. They're very solid. Really like Vrabel. Love Derrick Henry. Ryan Tannehill, you know, he makes enough plays. He's not a superstar, but he makes enough plays. And I like their roster. And like I said, Vrabel, Derrick Henry, really love those two. And and they're going to be a force moving forward. At number three, I don't care about their record. And I and actually, I could probably put them lower, to be honest with you. And I think if they play Tennessee today, they'd probably lose. That's Pittsburgh Steelers. I don't care if they're undefeated. I don't think they've beaten a ton of great teams. I know I think they've beaten like four backup quarterbacks. I don't love Big Ben. I think he's fine. Um, their defense now is out with Bud Dupree and um, Devin Bush, two of their better defenders. They're squeaking by teams. They just they squeaked by uh, you know Lamar Jacksonless Baltimore Ravens. I don't see the upside with them. I don't think they could beat Kansas City. I don't think they could beat Tennessee to be honest with you. But for now, I'll keep them at number three. At number two is New Orleans Saints. And New Orleans Saints, I think, hands down, the, the second-best team you know, in the NFL right now. Even with Taysom Hill as a backup quarterback, they're damn good. And their defense is leading you know, that charge. Their defense is very, very solid. And if you've heard me talk about the Saints previously, I, I compare them to the 2015 Denver Broncos offense. Even though I think the Saints offense is better than that 2015 Broncos team, kind of reminds you of them. Drew Brees, Peyton Manning, aging quarterbacks last year. And, you know, defense humming both defenses are, are really really good that's who they remind me of and the saints are rolling right now even though this game sunday will tell you a lot that you need to know about this football team it's going to be extremely important to win this game and we will see this sunday huge game against atlanta and number one kansas city kansas city is just really good and the thing that that kansas city the only issue with kansas city is complacency i mean you can see sometimes they turn it on they they, you know, they throttle it down they're, they're complacent, and so that's going to be their issue moving forward. Are they always ready to play these games? That's the biggest question with them. I mean, they're immensely talented. Patrick Mahomes is one of the most talented quarterbacks we've ever seen. Andy Reid, love him as a head coach. This is a damn good football team. They really, really are. And so the, the one thing that can stop them is complacency and, you know, getting ahead of themselves. That would be the only thing because this team is really, really good. Kansas City at number one. Let's talk some LSU football. Last podcast we left off, LSU was heading into the Alabama game. As we predicted, it would be a blowout of you know epic proportions, and it was. Alabama had some payback on their mind, and we talked about it. LSU is not even close to Alabama's level. They're not. Last year was an aberration. That's not the reality. LSU is not there yet. They're not on that level or elite level like an Alabama or a Clemson. Joe Burrow elevated the football program to heights we've never seen. But as Joe Burrow leaves, as Joe Brady leaves, and as Dave Aranda leaves, and as you've had vast departures, that's not the same program. And so LSU has to build upon that. And we'll talk about some of those things moving forward. But yeah, the Alabama game was just terrible. And it goes back to the point that everybody in the fan base has been hitting on all season long is that the defense is terrible. The worst we've ever seen. Bo Pelini has been a terrible coaching heart for Coach O, and it is a black eye on the program. It's a black eye for Coach O, just another terrible hire. 
And the naysayers who, you know, are in Coach O's camp are going to say, yeah, but Dave Aranda, Dave Aranda was hired by Les Miles. Okay. Matt Canada was his first big hire. Complete failure. I mean, they had to fire him after the first year. And the same thing is going to happen here. He's going to have to fire Bo Pelini. You know, Joe Brady, yes, feather in his cap. He was one of the greatest coaching hires we've ever seen. But was that just a shot in the dark? Okay. We talked about it before, and now we're, we're going to hit on some coaches right now. Then we'll talk some Alabama game. Coach O went to hire Bo Pelini, an older, you know, not a very modern coach. Whenever you had tremendous success with a, a different style of coach, a Dave Aranda, very cerebral, soft-spoken, you know, player's guy. He was an amazing coach. Then he also had success with Joe Brady, like we just talked about. Young guy, energetic. Guys can relate to him, right? Innovative. Notice those key words. You go to Bo Pelini, an older guy running an older defense, um, not extremely relatable. I didn't think it was a great hire. And now it's it's coming to fruition. It was a terrible hire. And so now you have to pivot, right? And And I think, you know, Weeks back, months back, we were like, wow, we can't really get rid of them. The the COVID situation and the loss of revenue, you're starting to see schools don't care about that. They're going to write checks out. And so I think Pelini's gone. And if he's not gone, that that is just an embarrassment, uh, you know, for the program as a whole. He has to go, period, point blank. So let's dive into the Bama game. The first half was terrible. And as we just talked about, Bill Pelini has been an abject disaster. The only time LSU forced something that wasn't a touchdown was a field goal. I mean, Alabama, it was almost like a scrimmage, running up and down the field at will. Devontae Smith, a Louisiana guy, completely destroyed LSU. Wasn't even close. There were some signs of life of the offense, sure, but I think whenever you're, you know, the opposing team is scoring points at will, I don't think the defense has their ears pinned up. You know, like we talked about last year with LSU, when LSU scoring tons of points, the defense, you know, they're not going to try to go all out to pitch a shutout. But there were some bright spots. Look, LSU is not even remotely close to Alabama's level. They're just not. And it came to fruition, as you saw a couple Saturdays ago. We talked about it. LSU acted like they'd won the Super Bowl when they beat Alabama last year in 2019. They, you know, went to the, the recruits – and for Alabama and ran their mouth and said, come to LSU. Coach O was just so uncharacteristic, you know, just, you know, at midfield, you know, saying how he we own the place, yada, yada. In the locker room, they catch him saying, you know, roll tight FU. It was just like, like I talked about, you know, the the underdog team rips the goalpost down and and it's a great story, but then the team that you just beat will beat you 10 straight years because they're the dominant team, and they act like they've been there, and that's what Bama does. They don't, you know, get crazy over small victories or just one victory, you know, in general. It's about the big picture, and that's where LSU has to be. LSU right now, is it's all about small potatoes, which will, will shift to the Florida game. LSU right now and a fan base, and I'm not saying everybody within the fan base, but a large majority, and maybe it's because Coach O's a Louisiana guy, you want to root for him, you feel like he's he's you know, he's one of one of you. You know, he represents Louisiana and you want it to be a feel-good story. 
So LSU goes to Florida, and, and look, Feather in LSU's cap, LSU was a 23, 24-point dog going in the game, and they win. And there's no excuses for Florida. LSU had opt-outs. They're missing guys. It's just a complete shit show. And, you know, I don't give a damn if the kid threw a shoe or not. LSU beat them. That should never have happened with all the drama going on within LSU's program. And LSU beat Florida, period. Point blank, no excuses. I don't give a damn if he threw a shoe or not. But then I see people in the fan base, you know, saying, well, apologize to Coach O. You know, I told you the Tigers are back. That's one victory. That's a, You're looking at anecdotal things to, you know, make your worldview. We see this all the time with, you know, things that, you know, it's politics, right? With whether you're Republican or Democrat, you look at like singular events, anecdotal information to try to prove your worldview. So if your worldview is that Coach O is the next Nick Saban, then, yeah, you're going to look at the Florida game and say, oh, my God, Coach O's the man. You see, I, I told you guys, look, that was a great win for LSU and a great win as a program. And it boosts morale. But I'm not going to cut backflips because LSU won one football game. Okay, LSU is bigger than that. And that's what fans have to understand. LSU has won three national championships in the past 17 years and have played for another. They've been to four championships, have won three. That is a lot of success for a football program. And and have won it with three different coaches. LSU is a big-time program. Massive. LSU should not cut backflips for one win when you're four and five. That's just not the reality of this program. You have to want more. Okay, Cocho, like I said before, is an average coach. I'm sorry, he is. He's going to need to make dynamite coaching hires to elevate him to the level that you think that he is, because he's not. He's not Nick Saban. He's not Dabo Sweeney. He's not Urban Meyer. He's not any of these guys that you think are upper echelon coaches. Cocho is a great story. He's not a great coach. All right, I wish he was. It'd be amazing. I'd lo- I root for him. I think he's a good guy. But it's all about, if you look at Nick Saban, it's the process. It's steady, steady, steady. It's never high, never low. I mean, look at Coach O last year. It, it was just, you know, at, at points, I mean, after they beat Alabama, it was just like he was crying on the field. It was just high, high, high. And then sometimes you see lows, right? It has to be steady. The reality is he's a very average coach, okay? I'm sorry. He's going to need to make great coaching hires in the offseason. And I'm not talking good, great. He has to go find a Joe Brady. You know, he has to find a defensive coordinator who's young and innovative and who can relate to the players. They need to get some cachet on their side. This is a broken program right now. I get they won, they beat Florida, and maybe that's leading them in the right direction. It's great. But right now, there's a lot of things hovering around the program, the bowl ban because of some recruiting violations. It's minimal, all right? But it's just another drop in the bucket, drop in the bucket. You know, the sexual assault, um, the Title IX things that are going to come out in February will be very interesting to see what happens. I'm not sure what's going to happen with some of the people in the coaching staff. It's going to be interesting. There's just so much turmoil going on. And obviously, with the Eric Gilbert um, opt out. I mean, he's, he's gone. I mean, he wouldn't do that if he was just going to stay at LSU. He's, he's leaving the program. It's a huge black guy. This is a guy who was a big time recruit. And it was almost to the point where you thought things were changing, right? For LSU, because LSU 
for years, like we talked about, was just an anemic offensive program. It was almost they were a laughing stock among college football, among people in the national media, where when you talk to LSU's offense, you just chuckled. And with signing a guy like Eric Gilbert, like the best tight end that's ever been rated out of coming out of high school, you thought you were, you know, changing the dynamic of the program. And in some ways, LSU's offense is getting better. You know, Max Johnson is showing that, you know, pretty good quarterback. And I'm glad that they made the switch instead of sticking with Finley the whole time. You know, keep keep your mind open to, you know, different things quarterback wise. But yeah, the, the Gilbert the transfer, it, it, it hurts. It really, really does. It hurts the momentum of the program. Now, recruiting class. I think LSU did a great job. They're currently ranked number four, which is right where they should be, right? You have Alabama, I think it's Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, which it pretty much is every year. Fourth, fourth ranked recruiting class in the country is amazing. And that's right where you are. You want to be in that top five. Right. And, and they're there. Once again, Coach Oaken recruit. He's a, he's a really, really good recruit. Now, the game Saturday, you play Ole Miss. This is just will be another feather in their cap if they can go out and win this game. And, you know, obviously, I, I, it would almost be impossible for LSU to win any game in dominating fashion and, and get style points at this point in the season. I just don't think they're that good of a team. They've lost too many guys. There's too many opt outs. They're playing so many young guys. But if you can get a W here, because Ole Miss is a good football team. They really are. It's going to be some more momentum chugging along for the program. I think they really, really need to win this game. I truly do. Because you still have another signing day. You don't know what's going to happen in February when this you know, sexual assault um, case comes out. The findings come out in February. You need to get this win. You need to have some momentum going into this offseason. So Saturday will be huge. And the key is going to be, can LSU score points with them? They're not going to stop Ole Miss. Ole Miss is a really good offense under Lane Kiffin. They're going to score a lot of points. Can you match them? I think you can. Ole Miss's defense is really, really bad. They're almost on LSU's level bad. So can you score points? Can you run the football? Can the O-line you know, play better? I think they will because, like I said, I don't think Ole Miss's defense is very good. So the key will be you're going to have to score with them, make a stop here and there, which will be very tough to come by. But my biggest point as we head into this game is you need to win. I think out of all those games this year, this is the most must-win game because I think heading into this tumultuous offseason, at least in my opinion, you need some positive momentum moving forward. And this game right here, getting a win, will be the positive momentum you need going into the offseason.